You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Walking through 1 Peter and, and really kind of, kind of trying to come around this idea of what does it mean to be an exile in our cultural moment. And so one of the, the things that's just true of the Christian faith is that the Christian faith uh, was birthed and came up in a cultural moment uh, that was dominated by uh, the, the Roman government. Now, now, the Roman government was not a government that was, was their response to Christians. It was not, <laughs> we're so glad you're here, and uh, we'd love for you to take up some positions in our governmental seat system. Uh, it was a government that sought to um, really squash anything that uh, begin to kind of get in the way of the Roman government. And so it was, it was cool and it was fine if you were kind of doing your thing as long as it didn't really disturb um, kind of the cultural moment, the societal moment. But the problem with Christianity is it kind of invades every little space. And so Peter's writing to uh, what you would, would consider a, a religious kind of cultural minority uh, in, in that moment. And so we kind of find ourselves, the reason why we've said First Peter is so important is because we kind of find ourselves in a kind of similar moment, if you, if you kind of look just around, uh, Christianity in the West is uh, on decline. We, we live in a city. Uh, I, I love our city. I love Boston. Big fan of the city. Um, uh, but not a, you know, what, what you would consider a, like, religiously, you know, uh, kind city. And so we kind of find ourselves in a, in a similar moment that, that Peter responds uh, to his his audience, and so he'll use kind of this language of exile or sojourner or stranger or alien throughout his letter because he's kind of highlighting and rising to the surface this idea of how do you be a follower of Jesus, someone living in the way of Jesus in a cultural moment um, that, that in many ways isn't welcoming to that. And so it's been a really helpful uh, letter so far. This morning what I want to look at is this idea of what does it mean to be a, a priesthood? Specifically, what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? This is some of the language that Peter's going to use to refer to us as uh, followers of Jesus. And so let's kind of kick into it, into 1 Peter. Uh, we'll start in 1 Peter, 1, or 1 Peter 2, 1, and then I want to work through a couple of things on the front end, and then we'll dive into this particular part of who we are. But let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into it. God, we, uh, we thank you for your scripture. We just invite your Holy Spirit in this moment to help bring uh, about a sense of clarity, uh, a sense of understanding. Uh, God, we, in our natural disposition and flesh, want to uh, make ourselves um, what's most important. And anything that speaks against our own uh, self kind of advancement and satisfaction and enjoyment, we tend to to fight against. And so would you help us this morning as we seek to further align ourselves with, with the way of Jesus, what it means to be uh, sons and daughters of the King. And so we thank you for the scripture, God. Help us to um, embed it into our lives. Father, it's our, it's our desire. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, First Peter 2, uh, starting in, in verse 1, one of the things you'll notice in verse 1 uh, is it starts with this word, therefore. And we've talked about this already uh, because Peter uses this, along with a lot of other biblical writers, will use this word, therefore, as well. And so uh, in seminary, we were always taught 
Uh, anytime you see, maybe you've heard this before, right? Anytime you see the word therefore, you always ask, what's it there for, right? That was like the creative seminary thing, you know? And so, um, you know, creatives for the most part are not leading seminary classes. And so, um, anyways, in, in, but it's helpful, right? So this idea of anytime that you see that. So what therefore means is it's pointing to the, the passage or the text or the teachings or the instructions before this. And so Peter says in verse 1 of 1 Peter 2, he says, therefore, and then he gets into it. But I want to look at just briefly what he said before that. So in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, this is what he gives us right before. He's going to be quoting from Isaiah 40, but this is the, this is the text. Verse, uh, 1 Peter 1, 1, 24 and 25. We looked at it last week. All flesh is like the grass, and all of its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and then he's going to amplify or instruct what the word is. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. And then he goes, therefore, right? So he says, okay, so therefore, so the word is eternal, the word of God's eternal and everlasting. And then he says the word in particular, and he's going to identify the word, the word is the gospel, right? So what is the gospel? Uh, the gospel is... Uh, euangelion in the Greek, it means good news, and it simply means that we've been reconciled to God the Father through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So our, our, right, our present reality is that we're in union with the Father, we're sons and daughters, and that our future is secure. Um, it's a, a secure, that, that's the, the implications of the gospel. And so Peter says, okay, so since that, that's true and eternal and not going away, then he gets to 2-1. He says, therefore, he says, put off, look at, look at the things here. He says, put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, what do all of these things have in common, right, other than traits you wouldn't want in someone else, you know? Um, all, all of these things are what? They all happen within community. So malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy, Th these all are required, these are all, all sins or ways of living that happen inside of community with other people. And so Peter says, okay, so therefore, since our reality is as sons and daughters, it, with the eternal word, right, that, that's the gospel, this is our reality, he says, therefore, begin to live differently inside of your community. Put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Put off these old ways of uh, living no longer walk in these um, in these particular ways. Okay, so moving on, look, look what he says. He's gonna um, here. He's gonna talk about our intake in verse uh, two and three. And in some ways, this kind of builds on what we looked at last week. Uh, last week we looked at this idea of what does it mean to be uh, have a mind ready for action, or what does it mean to be sober minded. You can go back and, and listen to that or, or watch it. We don't have time to get in all into it. But, but basically, it was this idea of, of as being someone who's a follower of Jesus means uh, that we should do the intellectual work to understand our faith. We should be afraid of that or, or scared of that. There's, there's, there's answers that we have um, to these things. And so Peter's kind of building on this in verse 2 and 3. Look what he says, First Peter 2. He says, like newborn infants... So this is the imagery that we're getting. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word. So he's going to identify what the milk is. So that by it you may grow up into your salvation if you've tasted that the Lord is good. All right, how many of you have ever been around a newborn, right? 
If you've been around newborn, you're like, that super thing's super cute, you know, it smells good, it's like, you know, it's depending on its disposition, you're like, this is really enjoyable, and, and it's, it's great. You're like, that's, that's awesome, right? How many of you have ever been around a hungry newborn? That's a different situation, right? Uh, a hungry newborn, again, this imagery Peter gives us, a hungry newborn, they're not interested in your silly faces, right? So you can, do, you can go every silly face you got in the arsenal, and they're like, I, I, don't, I'm not, I, don't, I don't care, right? They don't want to play with you. They're, not, they're interested in kind of silly, like, shaky thing. Like, a, new, a, a hungry newborn baby is interested in what? Milk, right? Like, do not get between a hungry newborn baby and its source of nourishment, right? It, 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 it does not go well. Like, there, there's a, a, a type of hunger inside that baby, right? And, and Peter uh, identifies it. He, he actually says um, that by this pure milk of the word, you grow up into your salvation, right? This is how maturity happens. And, and so he says, like a, new, like a newborn baby desires um, milk, but not just milk, but what kind of milk? Pure milk. Uh, how many of you have ever taken, have you ever took a big swig of like soiled milk before, right? Or you just kind of took like a, you just got a good, you know, y- it hit you and it, you knew immediately that you've made a giant mistake. <laughs> I have a five-year-old and... Um, so when you have a when you have kids, all right, your our base Katie and I's base level status is we're tired, and so um, our our son just has like milk glasses just kind of laying everywhere. Just kind of just what happens, right? You just kind of find them places. So I, the other night I'd gotten, we took a bath, we had a little routine, we did our bath, brush our teeth, got Jamie's on, do our whole deal. We're getting ready to read a book, and my son grabs this cup that's next to his uh, little nightstand. Usually I try and catch it, but he just. He's five, so what does he care? So he picks it up, takes a giant swig, and immediately recognizes that this is not pure milk. Uh, and, and if you've ever been around someone who's had in, in not in, like spoiled milk, you, you know it. And, and I knew it because then my five-year-old son begins to do what? He just spits it everywhere, just all over, the, all over his pajamas, all on the floor. There's just like this chunky milk, right? It's everywhere. And if you know my parenting style, I'm super chill. And so I was like, bro, dude, I just, like, you know, just got it. And he's like, that milk's not good. And I was like, yeah, I, kn- I know, right? I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that, right? There, there's something very different about pure milk and, and spoiled milk, right? And, and so Peter gives us this imagery. He says, like a newborn infant wants the pure milk that comes from the word. And I guess I just want to kind of challenge us this morning to think about this idea or to consider our sources. And, and I just want to say that there's, it's, it's a very real likelihood that many of you are doing what? You're consuming things that are spoiled. They're not good. It's not good nourishment for you. It's not going to grow you up in the Lord. Right? And, and, and so Peter says the way in which we grow is we grow into spiritual maturity by receiving the pure milk of the word. And, and so many uh, of our sources of information, of entertainment, are spoiled milk. And so Peter says, if, if you want to grow, uh, it comes through the word. This is why Paul, to a young church leader named Timothy, in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17, he says this about the scriptures. 
He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Now he's going to say, this is why it's good for us. This is why the scripture is good for us. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the, the man of God or the woman of God may be what? Complete and equipped for every good work. So Peter says, if you want to get spiritual growth, if you want to grow, the, the language he uses, grow into your salvation, he says it comes through the pure milk of the word. Again, it's a challenge to the people. He says, put off your old self, your malice, your envy, your hypocrisy, right? It's kind of backbiting kind of nature. And he says, begin to take in the pure milk. And then he actually gives a challenge and he says, he's quoting the, the Old Testament here, but he says, just taste and see that the Lord is good. Just test him. Just taste and see. Get in the scriptures. Begin to immerse yourself in the, in the way of Jesus and just, just see how good he is. And, and this is a, a part of what spiritual maturity looks like, right? Spiritual maturity, or we call sanctification, is a process of being able to recognize, oh, that old way of thinking or the old kind of intake or the old stuff that I used to you know, listen to or watch or read or whatever, that, that was actually spoiled. That, that wasn't for my good. It wasn't good for me. So Peter says, go after the, the pure milk that comes from the word. Okay, he, he kicks down, kick down to verse 4, 2 Peter, uh, or 1 Peter 1, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. He's going to begin to identify who we are. So he says, uh, as you come to him, a living stone, so talking about Jesus, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built into a holy priesthood. Okay, so here's the first kind of priesthood there. There's an adjective there of holy. But he says, you're a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to, to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this has become the cornerstone. So the cornerstone, right, you built your building on the foundation of the cornerstone. So he says the one that's been rejected, the living stone that's been rejected, who is Jesus, is now the church is built around him. So he calls him the cornerstone. Moves on, verse 8. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. Okay, there's the word again. And they were destined for this. Verse 9. So he says, but. All right, so there's a conjunction there, so he's turning the sentence. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. For you did not receive mercy but now you have received mercy. Okay, verse 4, he says that Jesus is the living stone. That's fascinating what Peter's going to do here. Uh, and we see this actually a good bit in Scripture, but he's going to say uh, Jesus was the living stone that was rejected. So then he's going to quote uh, a couple of Old Testament um, a couple of Old Testament passages here. Isaiah 28, 16 is, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. Uh, Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. So Peter's just quoting the Old Testament. He's saying, Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. The one we've been waiting on, Jesus was the, actually the fulfillment of that. And he says, he's a living stone. And then he says, we are what? We are living stones. 
they're being built up into a house. So they have stones. And then he also says um, two things when it comes to priesthood. He says you're a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. And so I want to focus the majority of our time uh, this morning on this idea of what does it mean to be a priesthood. And so I want to look at this idea of what does it mean to be a priesthood, and then what are these spiritual sacrifices that, that we're, we're called to sacrifice? So what, is a, what does it mean to be a spiritual priesthood, uh, and then what are the spiritual sacrifices that we are to take? Okay, verse 5, he says you're a holy priesthood. Now we talked about what it means to be holy last week. We, don't, we didn't need to get into it. Holy just simply means if something was made holy in the Old Testament— it was brought into the temple, it was devoted to God, and then it was considered holy. So to say we are holy is to me we are living lives devoted to God and all the messiness of that, right? So we're, wanna, we're not going to get into all the, the holy priesthood kind of thought because we kind of layered that out last week. But what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? What is this identifier of being a uh, royal priesthood? So just um, a little bit about this idea of, of being a priest. So the Jewish connection of being a priest is really important. So what was a priest to the Jewish people? Uh, a priest was essentially um, the mediator. This is what the Jewish person was. It was, well, it was an inherited privilege. So you had to be of a certain clan. So you couldn't, uh, it wasn't like, um, you know, if, if you're in ministry now, right, and you think, I want to be a pastor, right, or I want to be a leader or whatever, and you just... You're like, I need to do schooling or do whatever, whatever. They didn't work that way. You had to be born into a certain family, a certain tribe, in order to be considered a priest. So it was an inherited privilege to be a priest. And then what did a priest do? Well, uh, one of the, the most kind of important aspects of the priest is a priest was the one who went into the inter-sanctuary of the temple. So a Jewish temple would have a different kind of... Um, levels that you could go into, right, depending on, on who you were and, and your particular title or whatever. And the, the priests were the ones who went into the center, the innermost part of the temple, and would bring the sacrifices to God. So they had access. I want you to hear this because it's really important. A priest had access to the presence of God. Do you hear me? A priest had access to the presence of God, to the Shekinah glory of God. This is what the, the Ark of the Covenant is, right? You've seen the movie. So um, this is what a priest did. They, they had this ability to um, be a, a mediator. We'll get into this more in detail, but a mediator between God and the people. They were the go-between between the God and the people. So they could go where no one else could go, and they could experience the presence of God uh, like no one else could experience the presence of God. Uh, this is in some ways what, uh, when you had the Protestant Reformation that happened, you know, Martin Luther uh, nailed the thesis to the door. Um, one of the distinctives of the Protestant uh, Reformation was this idea of the priesthood of all believers, right? And so the priesthood of all believers, what makes it kind of separate from a, more of a Catholic tradition, is this belief that, that we all, are, we all are, are priests, and that we all have access to the presence of God. That we all have a relationship through, through Jesus. We'll see in a second. But through Jesus, we have a relationship with the Father. Right? This is what it means to be um, a priest. This is what uh, was the um, uh, identifier. And so if you're uh, a Jewish um, listener, and, and even Gentile listeners kind of understood what priests were. They had pagan priests as well. Um, you'd, be, you'd be registering this idea. Okay, priesthood. I got it. Priesthood. Uh, now, what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? 
because he amplifies it by saying you're a royal priesthood. So if you're a Jewish listener, your kind of understanding of royalty is what? It's also you're born into it. And most likely they would have been thinking of King David. And so royalty for them was you had to be in a line of King David. That's how you were considered royalty. You didn't decide to be royalty. It was like, no, if you're in the line of David, then you are royalty. You have that royalty. So for a Jewish listener to hear this, who's now falling in the way of Jesus to go, hold on, hold on a second, wait a second. You're saying I'm, I'm royalty? From, from, the, from the upper top, top of the status to the lower part of the status, he, here's, what the Christian, here's what the Christian gospel did. The Christian gospel took the, the layers, the societal layers that we have, where people are kind of all over the spectrum, you know what I mean? Um, and leveled the playing field. And said, through Jesus, we're all equal. Uh, through Jesus, we all have value. This is what, when Jesus came to do, he, he kind of broke this down. Jew and Gentile have now been brought together. And so a Jewish individual is going, wait, hold on, you're saying I'm royalty? If you were a, if you were a, a pagan, right? You, you understood, again, you understood royalty. You, you kind of got this picture of, like, okay, royalty, again, you got to be born into that. What did the gospel do? No, no, the gospel's like, you're all a royal priesthood. You're sons and daughters of the king of the most high. That's who you are. Right? We have to let that settle in. It's like, oh, okay, that's incredible reality that, that now I'm considered royal um, priesthood now now how do we become priests so i said that that peter says jesus was a living stone and now we're living stones and so it's important before we kind of get dive into some of the aspects of this spiritual sacrifice we become priests through jesus um, and jesus being first priest so a couple of things here hebrews 3 1 and 2 um, listen to what it says here the writer of hebrews says therefore holy brothers and sisters uh, who share a heavenly calling Consider Jesus the apostle and the what? He was the high priest of our confession. He, verse 2, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all of God's household. So we become priests, because I, I, I want you to hear it, because we're going to get into the spiritual sacrifices, right? And we don't do the spiritual sacrifices to be loved more by God. Sometimes if you grew up in church, this is, this is hard to grasp, because sometimes we think, if I do more, God will love me more. If I do more, he'll, he'll you know, see me more as a, a, a son or a, a daughter. And I'm not pushing back against o obedience. Obedience is necessary. But we don't do the spiritual sacrifices so that we will be sons and daughters or so that we'll be uh, a priesthood. We, we do the spiritual sacrifices out of the fact that we are priests that we are sons and daughters, right, is a result of our standing, the, the, the spiritual sacrifices are a result of our standing, uh, they're not the reason for our standing, right? And so the writer of Hebrews in 3 says that Jesus is the high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16, kick on down to the next chapter. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession Right, so again, rooted in Jesus, verse 15, he's going to amplify. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way. So here's what separates Jesus from us. 
It says, but the one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Right? So the writer of Hebrews didn't say, who's tempted in every way as we are. And he says what? He says, yet. Jesus was without sin. Verse 16. Therefore, since this is true, since Jesus is our high priest, since Jesus experienced temptation but did not sin, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see that? So we are made priests, the same way that Jesus was a living stone and now we're living stones. We are made both a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood because we have a great high priest named Jesus. He enables it. Right? He gives us the right. So when we lay down our life, this is, this is what happens. Okay, so what are these uh, spiritual sacrifices that Peter identifies here that he says that we are to give as people who are priests, right? So if priests are offering sacrifices, how do we now take that people living in the way of Jesus? Three things I want to look at um, here. Uh, the three things are our bodies, praise and thanksgiving, and then acts of love and acts of generosity. So our bodies, praise and thanksgiving, acts of love and uh, generosity. Okay, so, so probably the most popular Christian scripture when it comes to this idea of sacrifice uh, comes from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. This is Romans 12, verse 1. You've probably heard it before if you've been around church. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies, okay, so your full self, your mind, your intellect, your heart, your emotions, your personality. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Okay, think about sacrifices for a second. Um, so if you were a Jewish individual, you get sacrifices. The sacrificial system uh, was, was how uh, you experienced union with God the Father. And so uh, they would take, depending on your um, socioeconomic status, right, it would be a dove or it would be a, a lamb or it would be whatever. And it, it, you would sacrifice this animal. It was bloody. It was, kind of, it was a, a full-on thing, right? They didn't, uh, it wasn't like put a lamb up and cut its leg off and then you can take the rest home, right? It was like this kind of full-on situation. The Gentiles, they understand uh, a sacrificial system. The, these pagan temples that are all throughout the city are sacrificing people and animals. It's a very kind of wicked system, a, a sacrificial system, right? So they get it. So think how shaking this metaphor is that, that Paul gives here to the church at Rome. And he says, I want you to present your full bodies as a living sacrifice. I, I want you to lay your life down. I want you to lay it completely down, right? So not, not like we're more, a little more comfortable or like, hey, here's my, you know, here's my intellect, or here's my hand, you know, it's like, I, you know, there's a part of me, I'd rather, you know, keep some of that, um, he's, Paul's like, no, lay it all down, lay your whole life down, now, this is what he meant in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, so he's like, Paul's like, are you eating? Yes, are you drinking? Yes, okay, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God, so it should point to God's glory. What, what, you, what you eat, right? Point to God's glory. What you, how you drink. Some of you need to receive that this morning. How you drink. It's a pointer to the glory of God. Whatever you do, present your whole self to God. 
It's a living sacrifice. Again, Colossians 3, 17 is what we wrote to the church at Colossae. In whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Word, deed, whatever, whatever you do. All of these things, all of your, your life, everything that you, um, every way that you, the way that you speak, the way that you work, the things that you write, the way that you interact with others, all of these things are an act of worship. It's an act of worship. I was talking to, so I was talking to a friend this past week, and he, uh, he's a member of our church. And he was like, you know, uh, career's going well. I feel like I'm comfortable kind of in my niche in my particular career. Marriage is, is going well. We're kind of navigating that, and we're figuring that out. Friend group, social group is going well. And, and kind of all, of it, you know, he's just kind of surveying all these things, and in, in our conversations, it, it, he, it was just kind of like, I'm not doing all this stuff, but I'm just really beginning to assess that I'm not actually, and this is a mature follower of Jesus, he's like, I'm not, I'm not, actually, I'm not actually leveraging my life for Jesus, and I'm having to do a kind of a radical revamp of, of just kind of everything, and, and if you looked at the, this particular person's life, you'd look at it and go, oh, you got it dialed in, that's like pretty good. But for him, he, he just was like, no, I've, I'm, I've got some, some of this stuff going on at work that's kind of deep inside of me that makes me kind of do this and live this way. And, and I'm recognizing my calendar and my schedule is actually communicating a lot about what I value and, and it's pretty consumed by other things. And, and it really was this conversation of essentially him just going, and I'm just kind of recognizing that I haven't like fully laid myself down. I'm having to do some work to figure that out. And this is what it means to, to, to be a royal priesthood. This is what it means to, to some of this spiritual like sacrifice that we bring before God is to say, okay, here's just everything. What area do you need? What area am I uh, withholding? What am I uh, holding back um, for you, right? Now, I mentioned it earlier, but I said that the essence of a priest was what? A priest was a mediator between God and the people. So, so people knew they were okay with God based on what? The priest. What the priest was communicating, right? And so I, I do want you to hear this, this idea of being a mediator between God and the people. To be a royal priesthood means in, in, in a lot of ways that you are a mediator between God and your friends. Your non-believing friends. Many of your non-believing friends, like you are the picture of Jesus to them. A, a lot of your friends, it's true of a lot of us in the room, my friends as well, are not going to walk in this room, right? First of all, they're going to get here and go, uh, your, your elevator's broke and you're on the fifth floor, I'm going to Tate and I'll see you afterwards, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, and, and they're just not. This, this, this is not an environment that they're going to be comfortable in. Uh, there's just, it's just not, right? M probably not going to talk to me. People get super weird when they hear I'm a pastor. It's just naturally, I'm just used to it at this point. And so it just gets super. So for a lot of your non-believing friends, you are a mediator. You're a representation of, of Jesus to them. You're a mediator between God and them. And, and you have a, a responsibility. I mean, think about the way that Jesus lived. Jesus was, was focused on the will of the Father, and, and, and he did what? He just, first of all, he laid his life down in the ultimate way at the cross. But, but then he, he just got it. He understood, okay, I'm a, a picture to the Father 
to the watching world around me. And, and so some of you need to reassess. This happens all the time in the city. It's actually, we have to laugh or we'll cry, but I, I had a conversation last week with somebody, and they, this happens all the time. And they said, yeah, I was in church the other day, and I saw someone that, you know, is either in my classroom or works at my job, and, and I, I said, I didn't know you were a Christian. And they, they said, I didn't know you were a Christian. And there, there's like this kind of, you know, underground situation here where it's like, it's, you know, where it's kind of like, um, you know, and, and so you, you get into church and it's like, oh, I, you know, didn't know you were a Christian or you didn't know a Christian. And, and there's a, again, we have to laugh or we'll cry. So there's a, there's a very real reality that for many of you, there's a, there's a great amount of hesitation to admitting the fact that you follow the way of Jesus, that you're a Christian. And, and, and I'm not, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying show up to work with a strange kind of Christian shirt on. I'm not saying, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying, you know, leave tracks on the green line or whatever, although that's, you know, super effective, I'm sure. I'm not, I'm not saying don't, you know, leave the $1,000 tip or whatever. Um, I, what I'm saying is, You've you got to begin to figure out how to get comfortable with the idea that you're a mediator between God and the people and that you're a picture of Jesus, right? Now, that's made possible through Jesus, but the responsibility is rolled on to us. And so some of you need to reassess how you act or how you talk or how you think around your non-believing friends, your coworkers. And it can be as easy as Hey, what are you, you know, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to go out? Do you want to do this or whatever? And it can be easy as like, no, actually, I have a Bible study I go to with my church or I go to church. Like, it'd be that easy, right? Like, it doesn't have to be this, this grandiose thing, right? And, and then at that point, it's like, okay, now all my cards are on the table, right? And so, again, the priesthood, what does it mean to lay our life down? It means that we are um, following the way of Jesus and his ethic the things that he lived out okay secondly praise and thanksgiving so spiritual sacrifice our body the second one is praise and thanksgiving this is kind of the most traditional verse hebrews three fifteen. listen to what it says it says therefore through him let us continually offer up to god a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that confess his name now this is one of the reasons this idea of a spiritual sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise is one of the reasons why what we're doing in this room right now matters. It's why it matters. Uh, some of this kind of started with COVID, this kind of online thing, right? So here, here's what happened with COVID. COVID hit, and there's a little bit of like novelty around online church, if you were kind of around church at that point. And so I remember it. We were recording our stuff, and, and so I'd wake up on a Sunday morning just like the rest of you. And, and here, th this, his, here's how it started, right? Week one. Um, it's going to be on the TV, and so you're with your roommates or family or whatever, and, you know, you probably got dressed, probably put on pants, and, and you, uh, you're, you're, you're sitting there, and you're like, music's going, it's on there, and you're, you know, you're like, I want to be a sanctuary, you know, you're like, you're in, you're in the worship, right, so you're like going for it. I was in rhythm exposure in middle school. All right, so, uh, it's like honor course. All right, anyways, so. That was week, like week one, it was like, yes, Waymaker, right? So you were, you were going after it, right? So week two, you know, maybe you, you kept that energy week two, but week two was probably like, you know, you're, you know, 
you're kind of here in this moment, right? Week two, you're like, you're in it, you know what I'm saying? Week three, you just probably just left your jammies on, right, for week three. And, and so week three, you're like, you know what? The kind of music on, you're like, I'm just going to sit down for a second, right? And so you've got your, you know, single origin Ethiopian, you know, wash, Yurgo chef, right? And you're kind of like, you know, okay, this is good. I'm in it. But I'm kind of sitting down. I'm drinking my coffee. I Listen, I know what's going on, right? We, the two months out, what's happening two months out? You're like, you're making your coffee. And it's going on. You're like, yes, yes. That's so good, preacher. You know what I'm saying? Or like, you're worshiping. You're making your coffee, and then four months in, what's happening? Four months in, you're like this. You're walking your dog, and you're like, yes, yes, this is so good, right? That, I mean, this is just like the transition that happened, right? And so there's something about, you're not fooling me, I know. Um, so there's something about the embodied presence of God's people lifting up praise and thanksgiving to him. And there's something supernatural and deep that happens in this room collectively together. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to a marriage ceremony and you're watching, um, okay, this man and woman are getting married and, and kind of all these things going on around us. And, and we see the physical, but the reality is there's something much deeper uh, and richer and more spiritual going on underneath that. That God is doing something in that moment, right? This is what makes the one flesh union the one flesh union. God's doing it. It's similar in this space that we, we kind of have the things that we're doing, we're reading the liturgy or we're singing the songs, we're taking communion and we're, we're reading our scriptures and praying, but underneath all of this is something much more significant. So it's why consistency in this matters. It's why it matters that you, you get up in the morning and you, you come on a Sunday, although you don't have many mornings free. It matters. It's a spiritual sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Right? This is, this is um, what, what we do, this kind of embodied um, presence is why we can't give up on this. Okay, thirdly, and, and finally, so we have our bodies, a spiritual sacrifice of the body. Um, secondly is praise and thanksgiving. Thirdly is acts of love and generosity. Acts of love and generosity. Philippians 4, 18, this is what Paul says, writing to the church. He says, but I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So Paul, writing to the church at Philippians, they were a generous church, ridiculous hospitality. And he says, I've, I'm fully supplied. I have everything I need because of, because of your church. Hebrews 13, verse 16, this is what the writer says. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices, right? So what are the spiritual sacrifices that, that, that we give? It's our, it's our bodies, it's praise and thanksgiving, but it's, it's also acts of love and, and acts of hospitality and generosity. One of the things that made the church, the early church, so radically different than any other group that existed in that moment was their, was their radical generosity. Their, their hospitality was unlike anything else that Rome had seen at that time. And, and there was just a type of like, uh, again, spiritual sacrifice of like, here's what, I, here's what I have, take it. Use it. Do what you need to do with it. Here are my resources, right? Do, do like, help. Like, whatever needs to happen, 
like, do these things. One church historian named Bruce Winter talking about kind of Rome and church history at this point. He, he points out that, that Christians in his kind of work, he basically says that, that Christians really served as the benefactors to help provide a better city life. And one of the things that he, he, he points out in his work is he says that Christians were paying for public works from their private resources in order to enhance uh, the, the systems of their cities. So they're paying for it. Uh, their, their private resources. One emperor, Julian, um, he was expressing his disappointment to his religious leaders. And, and this is what he says, because he, he's like, um, the religious leaders that, that he was leaning into, they failed to equal in the compassion of the Christians. And this is what he says. The exact quote. He says, uh, the impious Galileans, he calls them Galileans. He says, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. Like frustrated him. Because he's like, not only are they taking care of those that are identifying as followers of Jesus, they're actually taking care of others that, that aren't identifying as followers of Jesus. And, and so a real, like, uh, a real act of service is to go, okay, God, here's, here's what I have. Now let's just, let's talk about it on the front end. Some of you are like, I don't have much, right? <laughs> um, and I, I, I get that. I understand that. What, what I would say is, is just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Like, if you don't start now, I can promise you it doesn't get easier, right? And, and so for some of you, are like, man, you need to just, before God, say, okay, I'm holding, I've been holding all this tightly. I've been holding my money tightly, my resources tightly. I, I. Some of you are on the higher end of that, and, and you, you got to assess. You got to go, okay, what am I, um, how am I viewing my money? How am I viewing my resources, right? Boston's a very affluent city by the way, like third most expensive city to live in. Thank you, right? Rent is like $3,000 for a single bedroom, 500 square foot, you know, shared bathroom. All right, so um, I get it. Totally understand it. Uh, I've, I've honestly, I told our members, uh, this was in our member meeting this past year, beginning of the year, that in so many ways I've kind of failed our church when it comes to money, when it comes to finances. I, I've just not talked about it very much. You know, I just don't. The Bible actually talks about it a ton, uh, more than I do. <laughs> and, um, and, and so some of you kind of just lovingly say it. Some of you have been here for a long time, and you just don't give. You just don't give. It's been a part of who you are. And, and sometimes there's questions around that. Sometimes it just needs to be a conversation of what does that look like, and, and where's the, we have all that, all the accountability, all those things. We can have that conversation. But some of you need to release be released. You need to reorganize and figure out how do I practice generosity, radical generosity, so that the way of Jesus will be pushed forward in our city. That's what we see. Okay, so so this past week I'm talking to um, John. John is the dad of an Afghani family that we've been paying the rent for the last year and a half. And so I'm talking to, to John this past week, and he comes from a, a Muslim family. He had to leave uh, Afghanistan when, uh, when the U.S. Uh, pulled out, and he had been helping Americans. And so he had to get his family out. He's a, a family of six. So he's four kids, and then he and his wife. And so for the last year and a half, we've been paying their rent. And so I'm in a conversation with him, and we're just kind of talking, and he's like, you know, so grateful. Like, he's just so full of, like, gratitude that we're doing this and and because this idea of, of of being radical generosity is probably one of the strongest apologetics that we can have to the watching world around us is how we handle and deal with our money and so i'm having this conversation with him 
And he's just like, man, thank you so much that you just keep doing this. Just keep paying our rent. Keep caring for us. And we're just kind of talking through that process. And, and I'll just be really honest. Uh, we're a young church plant. It could be very easy to kind of turn inward. And I very much, like we could justify, our leadership could justify saying, hey, let's just kind of, you know, let's make sure our, fi- you know, let's kind of build up our finances to a certain level. And then we'll begin to practice kind of generosity in the city. And we'll begin to practice kind of generosity. In the place. Like we could have that conversation and we could rationalize it all that we want. And the, the thing that keeps us from that are the scriptures, right? It's from the tradition of the church. Although it can be very easy, right? So every, you know, every year we give over 11% of our internal giving away to fighting human trafficking, local and global. We plant churches in Mumbai, churches in New England, supporting Afghani families. It, it's one of the, the strongest apologetics. Like I got to say to, on our, in my conversation with John, I was like, hey, listen, uh, I'm a Christian. I pastor a church. I don't know how much you know about the Christian faith. Um, but, but one of the distinctives of the Christian faith is hospitality and generosity, right? And because God has loved us, we love others. And so it's our honor to take care of you. It's our honor to serve your family and to care for you. It's an apologetic to the world around us, right? Now, what's the result? He, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, and then we'll be done. He says this, right? So we're, we're, we're coming around this idea of being a, a royal uh, priesthood, of being a holy priesthood. Verse 11 of chapter 2. He says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, so there's that language again, to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles, the non-Christians, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Okay, so this is the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. Peter says, when you follow the way of Jesus, some will slander you. And you'll be strange and weird. And you'll not get in certain social groups. And you'll not climb in certain, you know, professions. And, and it'll cost you. There'll be a real cost associated with it, right? You're not going to get invited to this thing in, in, in your apartment or, or whatever, right? That, it's a very real cost. And some people will be like, ooh, I don't understand why you think the way that you do and what you do, what you do and why you spend your time that way. I, I, I don't get it. But this is the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. That that's very much going to be true. It will get super awkward at times, right? It, it just does. It's, it, it's like it gets weird. Um, and then there's the other end of the spectrum that Peter says. Others will go, man, can you, can we talk? Can we just kind of chat for a second? I know you go to church. I know that if you say you're a Christian, can we chat like you I would just love to hear more about that. You just seem to be kind of a non-anxious presence, and you seem to value things differently, and you're not, you don't talk the way that some of the other employees talk, and you're not kind of slandering the way that other people are slandering. Can we just, like, chat for a bit? And, and the paradoxical nature of the gospel is you'll be doing the same thing, and some will slander you, and some will be attracted to it. It's the paradox of the kingdom of God. But our responsibility, what is our responsibility? To offer our spiritual sacrifices. To say, here it is. Here's what I got. God, do with it what you will. So let's take a little bit of time, um, a little bit of response time this morning. And maybe for you this morning, you need to have a conversation with God around, um, maybe it's around just the way that you've been interacting with your non-believing friends. 
Maybe you've not been serving as a mediator between God and your friends. And so maybe this morning you just need to own that before God. You kind of reassess what that looks like for you. Maybe it's around your, your resources. Maybe you've been holding your money tightly, your resources tightly. Maybe you need to reassess, okay, how do I develop a posture of generosity um, in, in a way? Maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Christ. Right, what does that look like? And so let's take a little bit of time this morning just in your space, and then I'll invite us to stand, and we'll take the bread and cup.